Thank you, yes. Thank you, Daryl. Um, I just have to say it's an honor to speak in front of you guys. It is a, a real privilege um, to share just kind of what the Lord has put on my heart and even just at baseline to be a part of this community. Um, it brings so much joy to my heart to run with you guys. Um, so we're going to talk about forgiveness and offense and um, this has been a theme that's continued to kind of well up in my life or come up again and again, whether it's um, opportunities to talk to people about like, hey, like when you said that you were going to bring this and drop it by my place, you didn't do that. And like that was frustrating, you know, like there was miscommunication here. What happened? Um, and then other aspects where it's like talking with someone like, hey, when you said that to me, like, I was hurt and, and offended by the way that you said it, and also, like, it created, like, this fear in me that every time that I was going to see you, suddenly you were going to blow up at me again. Um, and it just feels like in the past, I don't know, maybe, like, seven, five to seven years, probably, these things just keep coming up and uh, more and more, these conversations of... Um, how do, you, how do you talk about when you're offended? And also, how do you forgive someone um, in the midst of that? And um, so the verse that I uh, just wanted to kind of springboard off of is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, the first thing that I want to highlight is that this starts with knowing who you are, knowing God's love. That before he got to... Uh, is this Peter that wrote Colossians? Paul? Paul? <laughs> Excuse me. So before he gets to talking about forgiveness, he starts with, like, know that you are God's chosen people, that you are holy and dearly loved. And I was talking with John um, at the end of last week because as I was thinking about forgiveness, there was so much where it was like, well, like, before we can even talk about forgiveness, we talk, have to talk about our identity in Christ and God's love. Like, that has to be the foundation before we talk about some of the outworkings of how we live that out. And then, like, John came and just, like, shared about the, the pure, pure, deep love of God. And I told him afterwards, I was like, you have no idea, but, like, you just set this up. You know, you set up next week. Because there were things that I felt like I didn't have time to talk about that were so foundational, where it's like, if you have not heard John's sermon, like, go back. It is very, very provoking. So we'll give you about, like, 30 seconds. You can go back and, like, listen to it now, and then we'll be ready, you know. So I'll just kind of wait around. Okay, no, never mind. Um, but really, I sincerely go back and listen to John's sermon, because it's, it's just... It's the foundation from which we're going to build on today. Um, so I want to talk about kind of the first section. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have, has a grievance against someone. So bearing with one another. There's something that I've heard before and something that I believed for a long time 
that um, I just want to speak against. And it's, it's this idea that, like, we're just supposed to kind of move on from issues, that, like, you just need to kind of get over it. And, you know, like, there's nothing... Um, how do I don't want to say this? That there's no hardship or there's no, like... Um, there's nothing difficult, really, enough to where you can't just kind of move on when someone offends you. And, like, bearing with one another, sometimes people, like, you know, spread over the phrase, like, let go and let God, you know, just, like, move on, which is, is good and fine when it's like, hey, you left the dishes in the sink, and now I can't clean my dishes, and it makes it hard. You know, things like that where it's like, you can have a conversation, but if that's, like, stewing inside of you where you're like, oh, my gosh, like, they did it again. Like, one, you probably should have had a conversation a lot earlier before your heart got to that place. But two, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, if they left their cup on the counter... It's like, you know, it's a cup. But then there, there are, like, a lot more things that are, are far more difficult in our lives um, that need to be brought up, things of offense that, that need to be talked about, conversations that need to be had. And um, so an example of this in Scripture about, like, going and talking with someone, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if your brother sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Obviously, this is talking about, like, very, like, serious issues um, with someone sinning, but there, there are small issues of offense that still come up where it's important for us to start to, you know, bring up that conversation and don't just let it settle into your heart and kind of stew around for a while. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, like, why do we get offended? So what actually, like, ticks us off? You know, like, what really rubs us the wrong way? And, like, one thing I want to identify and just speak out is that there are legitimate hurts. That it's not just, like, um, well, let me just give you this example. So when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, one of the things that he said was, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And when there is someone that either out of malicious intent or maybe out of neglect hurt us, there is a debt there. There is a debt that what they did was not what they should have done. And so there's a disparity there, and there's kind of, in a sense, owing of to someone else. And so... That kind of also goes under the, the, like, when people are like, just let go and let God, you know, just, like, move on. Like, no, like, there is a deficit there. You know, there was an intent of what God wanted you to live and care for, for one another. And then when we don't follow that or don't know how to follow that sometimes and then hurt another person, like, there is a debt there. There is a trespass against someone. Um, and often, like, kind of like I was saying earlier, if you don't start to have those conversations and start to approach it, then it just kind of st- 
stews up inside of you. You know, it's like you cut your finger and you're like, oh, it's not that bad, and you stick it in your pocket. And then like five days later, it's like green, and it's infected, and you're getting closer and closer to needing an amputation. Like, I, that, that was drastic. But like, seriously though, you, you guys know that this happens in your hearts when someone does something against you and you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It wasn't that big of a deal. And then two days later, you're like sitting there, you have some free time and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, and it just like wells up inside of you. It's just like in the back of your brain, just like kind of tapping you, you know, because there's something that's hurt in you. And, um, So, there are legitimate offenses. And then another reason we get offended is we receive something as hurt. So, something that wasn't intended to be, we receive it as hurt. And there are a lot of reasons that this could be, um, could occur. But um, one proverb that I really love, it says, uh, it's Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Like, think about this. You know that this is true. So the best example that I can think of for this is, like, if any of you guys went to, like, a summer camp or something like that, for some reason, like, maybe a Christian summer camp or something like that, and, you know, everyone's sleeping in the morning, about to get up, and there's some camper that comes through, and they're like, rise and shine and give God the glory, and everyone... They might feel like, or at least, you know, the day before, they were like, I want to praise God. And when that person starts belting that in the morning, that is not the first thought on your mind. You're like, I was peacefully sleeping here. Thank you. And I was going to get up when my alarm went off. But now I am rudely awakened. And even though you're singing a song about God, I am really annoyed right now. Um, so that often happens, and there's so many ways that that can present itself in our everyday lives. Um, when we receive something that wasn't intended to be hurtful, but we receive it as hurtful. Um, so another way that's really like insidious, that's really um, very sneaky, is when we value something, when we've set our heart on something, set our affection on something, set our expectations on something, when that thing that we've set our heart on becomes threatened. So at the root of setting our heart on something it is idolatry. We're putting our lives and putting our trust or putting our hope or putting our love into something other than God, and that is idolatry. But like one of the ways we get offended is when those things are threatened. So um, so this is a really good example of this in my own life. So um, in college, I, I, like, I, I love people. I just enjoy people. I genuinely do. And um, a lot of that has been out of things that the Lord has worked in my life. And um, went on a missions trip to Swaziland. And uh, one of the guys that I was rooming with um, he, I, I still don't really understand how this happens, but like when he sleeps, for some reason, he makes the noise like, I don't know if this will pick this up, but it's like a, yeah, 
<laughs> my thoughts exactly. <laughs> I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought I was a really gracious, compassionate person until I go to bed and it's just like, it's really unnerving, you know. And suddenly, all that grace and all that compassion and all that love and care for him just, like, went out the way. Just, like, got thrown out the door because I, I just got ticked off. I was like, I'm, I can't sleep in this kind of environment. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Eventually, I did fall asleep, you know, after, like, stewing on this for a while. And that was something where it was like, I'm not going to bring that up to him. Like, hey, like, you should probably stop doing that. He was sound asleep two minutes in. He had no idea. But it, what it revealed in me was, like, I was a gracious and compassionate person as long as I had control over some things, you know? But then you take that away, and then it's like, oh, no. Like, once someone becomes an inconvenience, then it's like, oh, okay, like, now this is a challenge, you know, because it's revealing my actual heart where my affections are. My affections were on being able to have that control, being able to live my life as I wanted and not have someone kind of interrupt that. Um, and then, so, there are legitimate hurts. There, we receive things as hurts, sometimes that aren't intended. And then there are, like, places in our hearts that we have affections that are not the Lord, that are threatened when other people do things. And often, very, very often, situations where we are offended are a mixture of all three of those. So, like, it, it becomes completely convoluted very, very quickly. Suddenly you have all these emotions that are welling up inside of you of, like, oh my gosh, like, I am really frustrated right now, and I have no idea why. Because there are all these layers to human interaction, and sometimes we have like, been a contributor to the problem, and we don't even know it or realize it. Um, so let me give um, another really good example of this in my life. So one thing that I had a really high value on growing up and, um, and even today still, is loving people well, is compassion, which at the root, you think, like, that is really good. Like, this is the heart of God. This is something that he really values, and it was something that I valued as well. So here's where it got tricky. So once I started spending more time or, like, had more interactions with people who did not value compassion as much as I did, then it became hard to love them. So that compassion that I had for other people or that value of compassion, it was actually where my identity was. And it wasn't the love of God. And out of the love of God, I was caring for people, be they nice or be they not. It was that compassion that I valued so highly, so highly. It was such a part of my identity that when someone else came into the room who wasn't as friendly or who didn't love people like as deeply, it was like, oh my gosh, like you are so hard to love. And that was a way where it was like something that is good of God, something that is good and pleasing to him, I had put so much of my heart into it that I had lost focus of God himself. So, um, 
give you a daily example of this in my life. So when I drive in Boston, <laughs> so, some of you guys are students and don't drive. Some of you guys have, you know, consistently drive in Boston. Um, and I'm from Texas originally where like drive friendly is the Texas way. Like they literally have signs on the road that say drive friendly. It's the Texas way. I'm not joking. Like this is a thing. Thank you, Texas people. You understand me. So where people will drive and they will wave at you and they have no idea who you are. You know, like people in Texas are friendly. So I come up to Boston and the way people drive in Boston and Massachusetts in general is they, they drive in a way as, as if you have already offended them. <laughs> but really, though, like as, as if you have stolen something from them and now they have to pull it back, you know? They have to steal it back from you. And you see this when, like, the light is turning, like, red or yellow, you know, and there's a line of cars backed up. They've gotten through the light. And there's no room for more cars to go through because there's not room. If they went through, they would stick out into the intersection and block the other traffic. But that does not prevent them from pulling out into the middle of the intersection. And then you yourself, once you have a green light, cannot go forward because they have stolen that from you because they were sitting at the light for three to five plus minutes saying, well... I deserve to get through that light. And so I'm going to push myself through. And then, you know, <laughs> it pretty much is self-explanatory. Everything breaks down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, seriously right now? Um, so what's interesting for me driving in Massachusetts is this gives me a pulse on where my relationship with God is every single day that I drive. Like, seriously, because if I'm so quickly just like, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? Like, again? Like, third person to cut me off. Like, really? If my heart is like so quickly to be offended, then it's like, where, where are my affections? Like, where is my heart? Like, what am I looking towards for like life and hope and joy? for like my foundation, the root of who I am, it's definitely in something in this world. If suddenly something is, that's good is taken away from me all of a sudden and my heart wells up and I'm like, really? Come on. But when I know who I am first and foremost, when I know that my identity is not in this life, when I know how deep Christ's love is. And not that I know the fullness of Christ's love, but when I remember how deep his love is, when I remember who I am in Christ, then suddenly it's like someone cuts me off and it's like, well, it's, it's just like they cut me off, like whatever. Like it's like water off of a duck's back. <laughs> yeah, it's a Texas thing. Sorry, we go hunting. and. <laughs> But seriously, like, this is a great pulse when you have to stand right next to someone, when you work right next to someone who is very, like, egregious in the way that they interact with you. Like, where is your heart? Are you, are you able to be gracious? And if you're not, then it's like, well, there's something, 
There's something of your affections that is not rooted and grounded in him. My mouth gets really dry up here. (laughs) So, um, I'm just going to say, I see this happen a lot in relationships. Like, in my life as well in other people's lives, it's like when people get closer to one another, suddenly, like, tension comes out. Suddenly, like, there's conflict. Suddenly, and... um, like, the closer that we get with people, like, it says, um, like, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's like a scraping. The iron is scraping, like, <laughs> was, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to move on. So it's, but it's like, it, it's hard. And it's consistent. If you want it to get sharp, you have to let that happen. You have to let the things that are not good in you suddenly come out. But you're like a really gracious and kind and compassionate person, and then you get married, and then you're sleeping next to your spouse, and they, like, for some reason, while they're sleeping. (laughs) Like, really, though? You know? It's like... (laughs) it, it, It... and it, like we have this in friendships, but the closer you get with people, the more the, the, the poor things in your own heart are revealed suddenly. It's like kind of an analogy of gardening. Like all of your friends, you've given these cute little shovels, you know, and they're all kind of like digging around. And sometimes they'll find a root in your garden, you know, like, oh, that's not good. And you're like, oh, I can change, you know. And then they find a rock and you're like, all right, we'll pick that out. And then you start dating someone and you give them a shovel, <laughs> You don't realize it sometimes until they hit really deep and there's a root, like, the thickness of your wrist, you know? And then you get married and there's, like, you give them a pick and a shovel and an axe and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Like, everything necessary to dig up everything that you didn't realize was under the surface, you know? And it's it's not like I'm saying, like, I'm different than that. It's just like saying... If you think that your heart is really good and, like, you've got it really going on, like, start dating someone. (laughs) And it'll reveal that there's so much more work to do. Like, seriously. Um, So, and sometimes, this is a funny thing. This is a really funny thing that I sometimes see in couples. Um, So, when I'm hanging out with couples, it's, like, actually kind of predictable. So I will be doing something like, let's say, for example, I'm at the grocery store and I like get a box of eggs off the shelf and they're like cage free, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm with someone who's like dating or who's married or whatnot. And they're like, oh, like you get cage free eggs. And I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. <laughs> and they're like, like my boyfriend, like they don't get cage-free eggs. (laughs) Like, what do you think about that? And what they're really asking me is they're like, I'm offended. We had a conversation. I think this. They think this. And I want you to jump on my side of the argument to legitimize what I'm feeling. And it's with some of the the smallest things, like pulp orange juice versus non-pulp orange juice. Like, you know, things like that, where it's like, ah, is this really, like, offending you right now? But it's like, they've gotten so close to someone, 
that like any of the grace that they had that was in their own strength and not rooted in their identity in Christ, suddenly all of that is used up. And it's, it's challenging. And we will all get there. Like the closer that we get with people, the closer that we get in the community. And it, it reveals your heart. It reveals the depths of your heart. So, it says, bear one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Now, I, um, going through the inner healing class we did in the fall with um, Danielle and, um, and Soraya, yes, um, we were talking about forgiveness because um, a lot of this is going through like family issues and, and issues that you've had in the past. And uh, one thing that was really good that came up was what forgiveness is not. Um, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness does not condone the behavior of the other person. Forgiveness does not stop the pursuit of justice. Just because you forgive does not mean that what they did was right. Forgiveness is necessary, but trust is earned. Like, those are very important things to speak, like, against the idea of, like, oh, just, like, let go and let God, you know? Like, and then you're supposed to become best friends with the person that you feel like stabbed you in the back, you know? Like, trust is earned. Like, it's not just, you know, you suddenly, suddenly just all the walls break down. Like, there's a difference in the relationship after there's hurt and after there's offense. So, part of the, the like, journey for me in the past many years of bringing up offense or being offended and learning how to talk through these conversations and share is, has been learning, like, okay, how do you even bring this up well? Because, like, if you ever walk into a room with someone who's offended you, you, like, walk in and be like, you did this to me! And they're suddenly like, no, I did not! And then it breaks down entirely from there. You know, it's like, how do you walk through these conversations with wisdom, with tact? How do you get to the root of what goes on? So, um... One, there are two books that I kind of wanted to bring that were, like, very helpful for me in kind of learning some of the practicals of what this looks like. So the first book is actually by a Christian therapist, um, and it's called Honest, Direct, Respectful. So some of the things that he talks about is kind of some of the different ways that people often interact, especially in terms of when there's conflict, because it might be fine until there's an issue, and then suddenly you realize you have very different styles than other people when talking. Um, so one of the things that he talks about is like kind of peeling back the layers of like how do you talk? So honest, direct, respectful, those are the things that he talks about. So often there are like kind of two camps of being very honest and direct, or being very respectful with what you're saying. So now the respectful people are the people who like won't want to say something specifically to someone, like to their face. When they talk about someone else, they talk about them in the third person, like, oh yeah, they, they said this, and they did this, and it hurt me. And then on the other hand, there are people who are very honest and very di- direct, 
but not necessarily respectful. And those are the people that, rather than saying, oh, they did this, they come in and say, you did this, and it upset me. So, often our kind of ideas and understandings of what is better and how to walk better can be, come from our own experience. Like, my family, I grew up in a really great family. Um, both parents are Christians, and, um, and I've never doubted that they loved me, um, which I know can be a rare thing. Um, but one thing that was a part of our family is um, things were always calm. Like, I, I know that my parents had, you know, conversations and kind of worked through issues and stuff like that, but um, growing up, because I enjoyed this calm environment, I just assumed, like, oh, if there's a fence, then, you know, like, conflict is bad. Conflict, you know, like, telling someone that they hurt you or telling someone, like, oh, like, when you did this, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, that was not in my framework of, like, how to work. And I don't fault my parents for that. Like, absolutely not, because I lived in a, in a house where voices were never raised, you know? Like, there was no yelling in our house. That was not a thing. And I'm so grateful for that. But even just, I, I picked up something that, that wasn't true. And so my way of dealing with conflict was being very respectful, but never bringing up how I actually felt. Which is very hard if you are the person that's offend me, offended me, and you have no idea why you offended me. How can there be reconciliation? How can there be forgiveness if I am not telling you specifically what is upsetting me? And so there has to be this balance of, of being respectful, but also being honest and direct with what happened, with how you feel. So that was, that's one book, and I highly recommend that. It's called Honest, Direct, and Respectful. So there's another book that um, has been helpful, and it was one that my dad gave me. He's a financial planner, and he often has difficult conversations with clients where it's like, all right, this child of yours has done such and such and such, and you're thinking about taking them out of your will. Like, how do you go about that conversation? <laughs> like, challenging, challenging things. So the book itself is called Difficult Conversations. So it's not um, written by Christians, and it's actually from Harvard. Not that, like, that makes it incredible or any better because it's from Harvard. I'm going to speak against that for a Boston crowd. It's, it, but it is a great resource. And I think Christina actually did a course with the people who did this. Is that correct? Okay. Um, so they, ha they actually have a course, and it's all talking about, like, how do you even engage in difficult conversations? Like, what does this mean? What does this look like? And when I first picked it up, I was like, this is going to be so lame. <laughs> like, I was expecting it to be, like, Susie lost her shoe, and then she finds out Donnie ran over it with the lawnmower. <laughs> How do they have that conversation? Th those were kind of my expectations. It's like, <laughs> why do I need to sit down and read this book? Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit of the, of the intro to kind of give you an idea of, of um, kind of the humility and the depth that's behind this book. Um, any time we feel vulnerable or our self-esteem is implicated, when the issues at stake are important and the outcome uncertain, when we care deeply about what is being discussed or about the people with whom we are discussing it, there is potential for us to experience the conversation as difficult. 
We all have conversations that we dread and find unpleasant, that we avoid or face up to like bad medicine. And then it gives a couple examples. I'm just going to read two. One of the senior engineers at your company, an old friend, has become a liability. Management has picked you to fire them. How do you have that conversation? You overheard your mother-in-law telling a neighbor that your sons are spoiled and undisciplined. As you prepare to spend the holidays at her house, you're not sure the two of you can get through the week without a confrontation. Doesn't that just, like, make you uncomfortable? <laughs> like, seriously. But these are the things that we deal with all through life. Like, all through life. And the closer you get to people, the more that it's going to happen. Like, how to walk through that well. So I'm just going to give, like, a teaser trailer for this book. Like, there's so much in it, but... Um, I want to at least touch on a little bit. So in, in each conversation, there are three conversations. There's the what happened conversation, like what actually happened. There's the feelings conversation, like how did I actually feel about what transpired in this incident, in this situation. And then there's the identity conversation. So you, can, you guys maybe can start to see why I'm advocating for a book that's not written by Christians, that does have a lot of wisdom in it. Because a lot of the language that they use, like, there are a lot of scriptures that can relate back to it. So the three conversations, the what happened conversations, think of it in terms of, like, if you and a friend split a donut. You know, like, you have half, they have half. You take a couple bites out of your side of the donut, they take a couple bites out of their side of the donut. But you each only have half of the donut. So you don't know what actually happened or how they perceive things. Because you can see their side of the donut, but you see the inside of the donut. You don't see the outside backside that they see. You know, but you see yours, but you can't see your side from their side. <laughs> and then, like, you guys take a couple bites out of it, and there, there's this middle area on either side that neither of you guys have any clue about it's an unusual analogy but like track with me come on now <laughs> so there's the what happened conversation and then there's the feelings conversation so like how do I feel how do they feel are my feelings legitimate like will they affirm that in the conversation or will they just be like oh you're just overreacting like great now everything that I'm feeling you've put on a silver platter and thrown out the window And often, so like going back to the like let God and or let go and let God, you know, where it's like you just need to kind of get over your feelings. Like, no, actually, like feelings help inform like us about ourselves. So this was um, another quote from Daniela from the Inner Healing Group, and it's we cannot trust our feelings to tell us what to believe, but we can trust that our feelings tell us what we believe. They reveal your heart. What jumps out of you naturally, and you're like, "Ooh, wow, like I'm angry right now. Like that reveals that there's something underneath that you need to explore more. And if you don't start to explore that, then guess what? Whether or not you want to bring it up in the conversation, it's going to bubble up. You're going to start talking to them in a way in which you are offended. You are going to start talking with them in a way in which you 
you view them as less or you view them as like, oh, they're just this kind of person. And then suddenly, you know, you're speaking very honestly and very directly, but not very respectfully. And if you don't recognize what is going on in your heart, then suddenly, like, these things just well up and these feelings well up. And actually, your feelings, recognizing how you feel, can lead you to this identity conversation. To like, okay, what is actually at stake for me? Like, what, is, um, what, is, what do I feel that is threatened right now? Um, and a part of the identity conversation, they kind of bring up three things, which I think is very provoking. Um, there are often three identity conversations that are kind of underlying a lot of, of our everyday life and our difficult conversations. And it's, am I competent? Am I a good person? And am I worthy of love? Like, think about that. Because there are people who are very, very settled and very, very confident in their thinking and their abilities. Like, am I a competent person? And then you tell me, because my performance review at work was not very good, you tell me, like, oh, like, these are the ways that you're messing up. And you say, no, I did not, because suddenly your identity is threatened. The root of who you are is suddenly someone shaking that box. Or am I a good person? I care for people. I care for them a lot. And then someone's like, when you did this, it really hurt me. And you say, no, 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 no. You have it wrong. Because a lot of times we assume that it's either all or nothing. So either I'm a good person that does good things or I'm a bad person that does bad things. And it can't be that like I have good things and I also have bad things. And so it shakes your identity because they're like, you messed up here. And you're like, but have you seen me? Like, look at me. I'm a good person. Like, I cared for this person here. And they're like, but in this place, you didn't care for them well. And in this place, you didn't care for me well. But you come back defensively because it's scary. And then am I worthy of love? And sometimes this can come out in the way that someone talks with you. Because if they're upfront and very aggressive and are speaking like very bluntly, very direct, very honest, then suddenly you're like, you are offending me by the way that you're telling me that I offended you. <laughs> you're offending me because the way that you're talking about this situation is accusing me, is accusing me that I am not worthy of someone's love or compassion, that I am not worthy of someone caring for me. And these things underlie conversations, and people have no idea. Suddenly someone blows up, and you're like, well, where did that come from? They were really friendly yesterday. And suddenly, because the layers are being peeled back. So a lot of what this book continues to talk about is creating a learning conversation. And I'm not going to go much into this because there's so much in the book that we could talk about, but I want to point to scriptures in which, like a learning conversation, and it, what I mean by that is when you go into a conversation saying like, okay, I'm offended, I recognize this, I, I know what I'm feeling, and 
Like, I want to understand what transpired in this situation. I want to understand how you're feeling, what are your identity issues, like underlying some of this. I want to understand like, how we can talk about how to work through this and how for this situation not to happen again. And so James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Like, come on, think of your everyday life. Think of your everyday life in places where this is not applied. Is there benefit from speaking your mind before you stop and think, like, okay, how does this affect the other person? Before hearing their side of the story. Then James three seventeen through 18. This is talking about peacemakers. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Think about that. Peace-loving. You care about reconciliation. But so much so that you're considerate. That you think of not just yourself in this situation, but the other person in the situation. Because so often we enter these conversations thinking about me, myself, and I, and they need to know. Submissive. Submitting yourself to another person and saying like, I need your help. I need your help in how to walk out this. I need your help in how to figure out like what went wrong in this situation because it went wrong. It went real wrong. And now we're both upset. And how can we walk this out and change things? Being full of mercy and good fruit. Having a soft heart when you're in the midst of it. When you might come into the situation in the conversation and you talk really gently and very well and the other person blows up like they're a volcano. Being full of mercy and good fruit. Even when the conversation starts to derail, bringing it back and being like, so tell me more about why you're feeling this way. Tell me more about how I offended you. Tell me more about what you're confused about being impartial and sincere. Now, you can be a really good listener, and we all know this, but if it's not sincere, it means nothing. It means nothing. Like, we've all had people who are listening to us, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, you don't give a care about what I'm talking about. It means nothing. It means nothing. You have to be sincere, first of all. And if you're not yet there, like, humble yourself before the Lord and say, I'm, I'm not able to be insincere at this place. Like, Lord, give me your heart for them. And impartial. Being impartial means walking out with this person and being able to recognize, like, okay, I contributed to this problem. It's not just you. It's not like all one-sided. And there are some situations in which it is this one person acts and then it comes on me. 
But it's like a lot of times in just interpersonal situations, someone says something and then you say something back. And you said it, you know, kind of like an iffy way, but they knew what you were talking about, right? And then they bounce back, and then suddenly there's ping pong back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and offense and offense and offense. Impartial enough to see, okay, I could be wrong in this situation. I could be wrong, but this relationship is worth it enough for me to put down my pride, my need to justify myself so that this relationship can happen, so that there can be love, so that there can be unity. So the last part of the verse, or of forgiveness, it talks about forgiving as the Lord forgave. And this is a hard one um, because sometimes you need to forgive when there's no acknowledgement of wrong. And I was very provoked. Um, I went back and listened to some of the, the uh, videos from when we had the race conversation, uh, race panel a month or two ago, um, and was listening to Allegra's story um, of her when she went as a missionary to Italy. And um, she realized that she, she was offended and she was hurt by by Europeans, because of the colonization of Africa. And, like, the Lord revealed that to her. And what she said was, I knew that I needed to forgive regardless of whether I got an apology. Like, something that goes to her very identity. It's like, her, her racial identity, her identity with, with where she comes from. Someone had stripped that away from her. And she was willing to say, I, I need to forgive because this is what the Lord says. Even if someone does not say, I'm sorry. Um, so this hits home a lot to me, um, especially with my... Um, so I had a relationship with a friend, um, a roommate relationship with a guy um, right after college. And... Um, it was fine at first, and things tanked pretty hard. They went really south. Um, there was a lot that went on, and actually during the inner healing class, I keep mentioning the inner healing class. Mm. <laughs> um, so I, I like did some inner healing prayer, and one thing that was definitely revealed through this time, it was like, okay, I need to forgive him. But then I was like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, where do you begin when it goes for six months? Where do you begin when you feel like you kind of got stabbed in the back? And then you turn around and, you know, try to work things out, and then you get stabbed in the back again. You know? When you respond back, like, forcefully and angrily, and then things break down from there. I didn't even know where to begin. And so, honestly, I knew that I needed to forgive him, but I... Like, it, it was to the point where when I would text or, like, his name would come up, like, there would automatically be this, like, oh. Like, I'm serious. Like, when I would see his name, I was, like, I'm, I'm ticked off. <laughs> like, really? It came up just as a wa wave of emotion every single time. 
But I knew, so I went to Azusa Now, um, the prayer meeting out in California last year, and we were talking about, like, forgive as the Lord forgave. Like, you guys need to reconcile. And so I went out, tried to call him. His phone wasn't working or wasn't receiving calls or something like that. And so it's like, okay, I don't know what to do. Um, So shelved it for a while. Um, went through the inner healing class, and I was like, I, I still don't know what to do. There are layers upon layers that are being revealed, and great. <laughs> now I'm seeing the depth of my heart. Great, <laughs> you know? And so I recognized that, like, all that I really needed to do, like, was admit my wrong and forgive him for his. Because when you keep this unforgiveness in your heart, It's like a chain on your heart. And it keeps you from walking out in simple obedience to the Lord. Forgive as the Lord forgave. And I was like, you know what? Like, honestly, like, I just need to humble myself and say, like, I'm sorry for my part. I forgive you for yours. Because he needs to be free too. Because he knows the offense that I've taken with him. And I can only imagine that it weighed heavy on him. And so probably about a month or two months ago, I called him and I was like, hey, like, there was a lot that transpired. I don't know how to even begin to go back through it. But, like, I apologize for my part in hurting you. And, like, I forgive you for the part that you played in it. And... Having no idea, let me say, no idea whether or not that would be reciprocal, whether or not he would say the same back to me. He could have, like, flipped me the bird and been like, whatever. I don't want any of this. Over the phone, of course. (laughs) (laughs) FaceTime, yeah. (laughs) But, like, really. And it was a short conversation. And he actually brought it up. He was like, you know, I... It, he, he, like, apologized as well and forgave me. And he, he also said, like, you know, I don't expect us or I'm not looking for us to be best friends. And I was like, great, because I'm not really, because there's a lot of trust that's been broken here. And you live in a different state, and I'm not going to call you, like, you know, every month or so. But there was forgiveness, and there was reconciliation there, at least to the point where my offense was shared, but then it was forgiven, for him, for myself. So, as I was praying about what to, what to share, I really thought, just like, why do we care? Like, I can bring this up, and I can talk about a lot of wise ways to go through conversations, Very honestly, very sincerely, we can talk about, like, any situation you want, any example you want. But, like, why do you care? Like, what is the motivation? Because if we don't start with that, if we don't get back to that, then, like, none of us, we're just going to try to well up feelings inside of ourselves. Just try to, on our own strength, be like, oh, I'm a gracious person, like, I forgive you, <laughs> and projected on people, and suddenly they're like, whoa, okay, you know. Like, or we get to a place where we're like, well, you know what? It's not worth it. Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I've been through? 
And the thing that I came to was, it's just a verse, 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of power is not a matter of talk. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And like, where is the power for this? Where is the power for people to reconcile with one another? Where does this come from? Because it says, forgive as the Lord forgave. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But it's really easy for us to say, but you don't know how much I've been hurt. You don't know how much I've been hurt. When, you were, when I was sexually abused, like you don't know. When my mother yelled at me and hit me again and again, you don't know. When my friends strewed my name across school, told lies about what I'd done, who I was, you don't know. But I asked, do you know that God was hurt for you? That Jesus was hurt for you? The very God who made the heavens and the earth, he came, he sent his son that he would endure suffering. That it was worth the cost. And so costly so that Jesus, just the, the image of this, that Jesus getting down on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And as John talked about last week, God is enthroned in unapproachable light. Jesus had seen that. He had seen that. He had been there with the Father. And yet the the suffering that he would endure, he knelt before the Father and said, God, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Even to the point that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. This was the depth of his despair. And it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The pain and the agony of seeing what was before him, seeing the torture that he would be thrown through. In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened his mouth. He saw, he lived his life knowing what pain he would go through all of his years. The pain that brought him to such anguish that he cried out to God. And yet we stand and say, oh, it's not enough. Like, Dad, do you know how much I've been hurt? Do you know how much he was hurt for you? 
how much he endured the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. He considered it worth the cost. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. And what was that joy? That joy was that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. He considered it worth it. He considered the pain and the toil worth it. Will we consider it worth it to walk in forgiveness? I'm not saying that what you have been through is not hard. I'm not saying that what you've been through has not torn your heart into shreds. I'm saying that when he says, forgive as I forgave you, that it is worth it. It is worth it for that freedom. It is worth it for the kingdom of God to come. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the thing that astounds me about this is Christ came regardless of if people accepted him or not. Like, there are people who have not accepted Christ in the past. There are those today. There will be those in the future. But he came for those. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ came. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it says, God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him. He came that there might be reconciliation, that he might give himself, he endured. And we stand before God as a church praying for another great awakening, praying for God to move in our community, for God to move in Boston, in New England, in our city. And yet, we're not willing to move across the aisle and say, I am sorry for the way that I offended you, or I forgive you for the way that you've hurt me. We want God to move, but are we willing to offer ourselves in simple obedience to him? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, he forgave us so much. The depths of our hearts, he has seen and he has known. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And I just want to read these, these last two verses, or four. Ephesians 4, Therefore each of you must put off your falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. How often do we give him a foothold? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Do not even people who do not believe in God do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And through this, through this forgiveness, through this reconciliation, we, we are witnesses to the world that God is not dead, that God is alive. He says, entrusting to us, God entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. And in John 13, it says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is it worth the cost? Because it was to him. You were worth it to him. Will you do that for your brother, for your sister, for your boss, for your uncle, for your neighbor, for your employer, for your employees, your co-workers? Will you do that for him? Thank you, Bennett.